This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 141 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. 141. I know, it just has a nice Moving ring Moving on to it. up. <laughs> so tonight's show is one of those shows that has a little bit of the true crime and creepy aspect more than paranormal. So just give them the, the heads up. But obviously, before we get into the story, uh, we're going to talk a, a little later in the show about some changes to upcoming shows and about the fun time we had in Louisville. But mm-hmm. we'll do that after this this story. Of course, we always want to start by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country we represent. Thank you so much. God bless each and every one of you. And then, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a rough week. Uh, for a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people on the group going through divorce. I've seen people going through some deaths, uh, people mm-hmm. losing job, tragedy, a lot of stuff going on right now. And it's just a good time to remind people that uh, you've always got somebody you can talk to. You can talk to us. You can talk to people in a group, which I'm glad a lot of you guys are utilizing. And you can talk to people with the suicide hotline number, one 800 273-8255 here in the United States and texting that number is 741-741. I also posted on our group at the very front. Uh, it's an announcement. So as soon as you log on, you should see it. It's uh, the Veterans Crisis Line mm-hmm. and also a bunch of the other suicide hotlines in other countries Great. Uh, where we're listening to. So we couldn't do them all on there, but uh, I did want to make it a, an effort to put that out there so it's not just people here in the United States have that option. Yes, amen. Okay. Are you ready for this story? I'm ready. In 1981 and 1982, Chicago was terrorized by a string of gruesome killings. These killings were used as part of a satanic ritual. And these rituals were designed to give power over women to the abductors and the killers, and also to give them some type of uh, a dark magic. Hmm. This is the story of the Chicago Ripper Crew. Now, I'm just going to tell everybody ahead of time, this story is definitely not one for the kids. I know we get a lot of people to listen to the show with their kids. I would probably advise skipping this one. Can I skip uh, it? No, you cannot skip it. (laughs) And to be honest with you, it might not be one for uh, every adult out there either. It just depends on if you're triggered by violence against women or cannibalism. Oh, dang. This is your chance to just go ahead and and log off of this one, take this week off, and we'll see you next week. Yikes. Totally up to you. All right. These crimes were some of the most brutal in the Midwest history, according to police officers. Some of the crime scenes were so so horrific 
that even seasoned law enforcement officers say that it, it was the worst that they had ever seen. Now, what made things worse is that these victims were of a wide range of, of people. Mm-hmm. They were all women, but every woman in Chicago was afraid, no matter what your age, race, what your looks were, social status. You know, in a lot of these serial killing type situations, it's uh, like, for example, with the deal with that Shane was doing um, with, with his Out of the Shadows podcast, you had the redheaded murders where all these people were, one, they were sex workers, and two, they were all redheaded. You know, so you've got that situation. Then you've got... Um, situations were like out with son of sam i mean most of the women they fit the same prototype or whatever that wasn't the case here so it made it tough to be able to say oh i'm a blonde and he only likes blonde or i'm a redhead he only yeah. likes redheads this literally was a situation to where it didn't matter who you were man they were all at risk so it started off with the first victim 28 year old linda sutton she was abducted on May 23rd, 1981, 10 days later, at 11.20 a.m., police get a call, and they're going to check out a bad smell that was behind the Brer Rabbit Hotel, which was about 25 miles from the city. And you're going to find that with, with all of these, for the most part, the uh, most of the bodies were found outside of the city. They weren't within the city limits mm-hmm. of Chicago. They were in the suburbs. So they go to this hotel. The owners of the hotel had assumed that there was a dead animal uh, because... They had, uh, it was like a road out there, like the Pet cemetery road mm-hmm. to where there was all these trucks and, and cars coming by at a high speed. So they thought maybe a deer or something had been hit and was back there somewhere. Police show up and instead of finding an animal like they had hoped to find, they find a badly decomposed female body, African-American young lady, face down in the weeds. She had her arms were handcuffed with a cheap pair of uh, nickel plated uh, what do you call them? Handcuffs. Handcuffs. <laughs> Drew a blank. So her hands were handcuffed behind her back. So the deputy coroner, a gentleman by the name of Peter Sigman, and his uh, boss show up. They're checking things out. Now he said it was obvious to him that she had had been there for quite some time because of the condition and the decomposition. Oh of my the gosh! How horrible. She had on a sweater, but no pants. Her underwear were pulled down just above her knees, thigh area. One of the things that they noticed was that she had some money tucked into her socks. And that was normally a sign of a sex worker in the Chicago area because they would tuck their money in her socks. So Mm -hmm. that was their first clue of trying to find out who she was. Now, they were able to eventually determine her identity through dental records. Then came the autopsy report. This came as a huge surprise, kind of shockingly, that she had only been dead for three days. But we told you, according to the deputy coroner, it was obvious she had been there for a long time Mm -hmm. because of decomposition. So why was she so badly decomposed if she had only been dead for three days? Well, insects apparently take the easiest route into the body. So usually that's like your nose or your mouth or any other openings. It turns out that she had several stab wounds in her upper body and her left breast had been removed. So this gave a lot more easy entry to bugs, which would have sped up this whole process. I hate this story. 
not only did removing the breast give extra access to insects and speed up the decomposition, it would also hold a significant meaning to the killings and to the killers. And you'll find out about that as we get into the story. So there's usually three reasons why someone would remove a body part. Uh, This is coming to several psychologists. Paraphilia is the first one. Now, that's a deviant sexual practice where someone gets aroused by unusual uh, objects or activities. So you'll see people that'll have like fetishes and stuff for something that seems like it wouldn't make sense to the average person, yeah. like women with high heels stomping on balloons. Why well, that would turn someone on, who knows? But in some cases, it does. And that's an animal. You know, you got mm-hmm. situations where people pay and get turned on to watch someone stomping on animals, little God, small animals and sickos. stuff. Right. But that's still some people that that's a fetish. And that's one of the reasons why someone might cut off a body part mm-hmm. of any type. Number two would be removing a body part as a representative representative of a female in order to do something with that. That would also empower them. It's like, hey, you know, I mm-hmm. got this mm. and I'm going to do whatever and you can't do anything about it. And then third is just having a souvenir from the murder. So we mentioned that finding money in the sock was uh, a lead to at least let them think that she may have been a sex worker so they could start trying to find out and try to find out if anybody knows anything, anybody saw anything. So they contact Chicago Police Department and they give basically a description what they found, talk about the money. And the Chicago Police Department say that it did sound like a woman that they were familiar with, but they couldn't make any connection with that to find a suspect. Yeah, but why wouldn't they take the money out of her sock to to take that away? That I, I guess they that wouldn't. Away. They probably weren't even thinking about the fact that they probably didn't know. First of all, that that was. Uh-huh. what goes on well i guess so. and then second of all they, it's obvious they didn't do any of this for the money mm-hmm. part of it yeah so it's hard to solve a murder from a sex worker because they live a pretty dangerous lifestyle to begin with and then when they go missing sometimes it's a long time before anybody notices so they That's could be so sad. you know we've, we've seen through the tv shows first 48 mm-hmm. it's for first 48 hours is when you can best chance of solving a murder and sometimes these people have been dead for weeks before anybody even notices yeah the case went cold after several loose ends and the next victim didn't happen until a year later and it was in elmhurst chicago which is another suburb 21 year old lorraine borowski and she goes by Lori, so we'll refer to her as Lori the rest of the time. She was opening the real estate office that she worked at. Uh, she was usually the first one there. She would open the door. So when people showed up, uh, they just knew to go right in. Other employees, I mean. this On this day, though, someone abducted her from the, from the office. And this is known because when the co-workers showed up, the door was still locked. So they happened to start looking around the parking lot for whatever reason, and they noticed some makeup, some shoes, and the keys to the building in the parking lot. So that's the only assumption they could make is mm-hmm. she obviously had to have been taken. Now, Lori's family looked frantically for her. As you could imagine, if you had somebody missing, and uh, her mom made the comment that, you know, that's what she would have wanted us to do. If we were missing, we would want somebody to look for us. So they did that, and they, you know, they handed out the flyers with the pictures on them, put them up on a telephone pose. This was going on for days, and 
her family, though they were hoping they mm-hmm. would find her alive, they were starting to be discouraged, as you could imagine. Yeah. And her mom even said that she started carrying around a white sheet. So it, when she did find the body, she could at least cover her up. Oh, my That gosh. was the mentality. That's heartbreaking. So the next thing the police did was kind of amazing when you think about it. Keep in mind, this is the early 80s. They used Detective Commander John Milner's skills. He was a, uh investigative hypnotist and had success in the past putting witnesses that may or may not have seen something but didn't remember under hypnosis and getting details from their subconscious. And because apparently... Sometimes you'll forget things like what they just ask you. You'll forget something that you might not have thought to be very important, mm-hmm. but turns out to be important. And they'd had some luck with that. So we did that. And he took some people that were in the area at the time. Lori went missing and just said, hey, who's willing to do this? And so they had a couple people that, that did volunteer. And one of these witnesses recalls seeing an orange or a red van in the mall parking lot that was right across the street. This was a lead. It was the only thing they really had to go on. Mm-hmm. Didn't know if it would amount to anything, but at least it was something. So they sent it out and uh, to see if any of the uh, uh, other police departments in the area and stuff had had any uh, abduction attempts made from somebody that, that was in a red or orange van, but it didn't turn up anything. So, But it was, like I said, it was a shot in the dark, but they tried. Tips eventually dried up and it appeared that Lori just vanished. So over the next four months, several other women's bodies are start to be found in the Chicago area. In all cases, the bodies were mutilated very cruelly and in a ritualistic way. Valuables were all still there. So women were hit with axes. Their faces were beaten beyond recognition. And in every case, the left breast had been cut off or slashed. In most of the cases, it was done while the victims were still alive. (gasps) Oh, don't even tell me that. Victims were found in alleys, under bridges, and in forests that were um, along the city of Chicago, the outskirts of the city. There seemed to be no connection at all to the victims. uh, And robbery obviously wasn't a motive because they all had their valuables Mm -hmm. left with them. Five months after Lori went missing... And 16 months after Linda Sutton was found dead, on December 6, 1982, police were called to the scene of a sex worker left for dead. She had been attacked in a similar way as Miss Sutton had been 16 months earlier. She was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. She couldn't even talk. Her name was Beverly Washington, and she was able to give a description of the attacker to police by writing notes and using symbols. She said he had handcuffed her and made her take some pills. Now, obviously, the reason they would make them take pills is to make them more submissive, Mm -hmm. keep them from screaming, that type of situation. This is when the torture began. He took piano wire and wrapped it around her breast and started to tighten it, causing it to cut into her breast until she passed out. Oh, my God. Now, piano wire is an interesting choice. Because obviously it would do what they wanted to do, but it also, if police was to search your residence, if they didn't know what you used, that wouldn't be the typical murder weapon or um, any type of evidence they would be looking for. 
So from a standpoint of what they were using to commit their crimes, this was obviously pretty well thought out. She also said that this happened in an old red van with a plywood partition that separated the front seats from the back of the van. She seemed to remember two feathers hanging from the rearview mirror. And uh, so one was white, one was blue. And most people will tell you this was a roach clip, if you remember yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that the later on we'll find out that the van actually didn't even have a rearview mirror, but there were these feathers hanging from there. So she did see that part right. So it's just, it's just where the mirror mm-hmm. would have been. So police put on an APB. Hoping this would obviously lead the police to Lori Borowski. Unfortunately, five days later, Lori's body was found in a cemetery. A cemetery that her family had searched numerous times in the last five or six months. At one point, her mom had been less than 10 feet away from her body and didn't even realize it. Oh my God. When the body was found, it was mutilated and the left breast had been removed. It was now clear that she was part of the collection of grisly murders that had been going on in the city for the last year and a half. Ten days later, two Chicago police officers get the break they're looking for. They spotted an old red van with tinted windows going down the road. This was inside the city. They noticed that there was a plywood partition and a roach clip hanging Mm. with blue and white feathers. To them, this was too good to be true. These kind of breaks just don't happen that easy. Yeah. They pull it over. The driver was visibly nervous. He was 21-year-old Edward Spritzer. He tells police, though, that it's not his van. It's a work van. And the van belongs to his boss, a gentleman by the name of Robin, Robin Geck. So Robin owned his own construction company in town. So the police go over to Robin's house. He comes out, uh, he matches the description that Beverly Washington had given them Mm -hmm. of who attacked her. Now, she's described the van and the owner. Mm -hmm. They bring him in for questioning. He's cool, calm. He's got a thousand excuses. You know, there's no way this would have happened. There's, you know, you've got the wrong person. Uh, He had an alibi, said he was with his wife that night, said he had no knowledge of all. Uh, of what the crime might have been. And he was curious to get to the bottom of it as well if something was committed in his van. Police wanted to put Robin Geck into a lineup, but uh, Beverly was still in the hospital. So instead, they did something they typically wouldn't do. They brought the actual lineup to the hospital. So they marched four or five men, including Robin Geck, into the hospital for her to be able to see them. She picked him out almost instantly and was visibly upset and collapsed. She was so Mm -hmm. frazzled by seeing this attacker again in person. Yeah, probably would have been a better idea to bring a picture. Yeah, I'm thinking, why'd they do all that for? So Geck was booked on several different charges, uh, including deviant sexual assault and aggravated battery. He posted bond and promptly disappeared. Now, a few days later, another sex worker came forward and said that Robin Geck had attacked her as well. The Chicago Police Department issued a warrant 
for Robin, but then they start thinking that he's probably got an accomplice. So they start taking a deeper look at the driver of the van, Edward Spritzer, mm-hmm. because he was just way too nervous that night. Even though he claims he knew nothing, why would he be so nervous? Just by being, you know, asked, especially if he had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So police did some intensive interrogation and he eventually started breaking down he provided the gory details that floored the police he started going into details of cases that he hadn't hadn't been released to the public at all so he should have had no knowledge of and he starts telling why they did stuff and here's what he says he says as part of a ritual he and robin would pick up the women He would stab them and Robin would remove the breast. Robin would then have sex with the wound on the woman's chest. What the fuck? Damn. Sorry. That, what the heck? (laughs) It's too late. Apparently, Robin had admitted in a letter that he comes from, and this was beforehand, that he comes from a long list of men with breast fetish. And all of the people, all of the men in his family, all married women with big breasts, including himself. Now, the breasts were used in a special satanic ceremony in Robin's attic. He had, uh, up in his attic, he had an altar that had like a red cloth draped over it. He had six red and black crosses uh, drawn on the wall. It was only lit by candlelight. And what would happen is Robin would chant a satanic chant and read from the satanic Bible while the other people, the other, the others would have sex with the wound, rape and torture the women. And eventually most of the killings would actually take place there in that attic. And I have no clue because you'll end up asking me this. I have no clue where his wife fits into any of this. You're exactly whether, right. Whether How did she, she not know that was going whether on? Whether she knew what was going on, not going on. She was obviously terrorized of him, but I don't know that if she had, I don't know what knowledge she had of this. And I really couldn't find anything that, because I was curious myself. So anyway, so they would go through this and then they would kill, the, they would, you know, kill the body. They would cut the breast off before killing the women. They would then take turns masturbating onto the breasts. Then they would cut it into pieces and eat it. <gasps> Spritzer, Stop! Spritzer gave the confession of killing two of the women, including Lori Borowski. No. But then there's a turn of events the police didn't expect. Spritzer says, oh, there's another accomplice, a guy named Andy. Now, they knew that there was probably an accomplice. They didn't expect her to be a third. Andrew Cocorales was picked up. So he confessed to being involved in 18 murders, including Lorraine Borowski and Linda Sutton. During the course of the investigation, police find out that Robin Gag had a fascination with Satanism and rituals. A neighbor said that, he used to love to read books that were on torture practices of ancient customs, especially how ancients would cut off the breasts of women and save them for tobacco pouches. 
An ex-girlfriend came forward and said that Robin had demanded she cut off her own nipple, and if she didn't, someone else would. I do not know if she actually cut her nipple off or though, but she did come forward with that. He was also found to be very abusive to his wife, and he was really into pain and sex, and so he started inflicting that onto her. And that's why I said I think um, I think that's kind of maybe out of fear why she just didn't go anywhere. But it was something that started slowly and then turned into something that was an all-the-time thing. She was definitely aware that he had a uh, sadistic side to him. So now you got three people. And to learn more about Andy Cocorales, they decide to bring in his brother Thomas Cocorales. Even bigger surprise, Thomas just starts telling them how they all tortured and raped and killed Lorraine Borowski. Very specific things that happened that he wouldn't have known. So now they've got four people. And this guy wouldn't even brought in on suspicion of anything other than they want to find out a little bit about his brother. And he just starts spewing that he's got all this. He said that they dragged her into a hotel room, threw her on the bed, They gagged her, tied her down. Two of the guys started beating her and having sex with her. At that point, they pulled out the piano wire, three to four foot long, put it around her left breast, pulled and squeezed it tight until the breast was fully removed. They then had sex with the wound and they took an axe to the wound and dumped the body in the cemetery. He also confirmed about the satanic rituals and ceremonies and saying that it was Robin's idea to remove the breast. He said that Robin Geck had special powers. Tommy pled guilty to the murder of Lorraine Borales. He was given life in prison. Andrew was given the death penalty, and he was actually the last person executed in the state of Illinois before they abolished the death penalty in March of 1999. Edward Spritzer was given the death penalty, but it was commuted to a life sentence when the death penalty was abolished. And Robin Geck, though he was the ringleader, there was not enough evidence to tie him to any of the actual murders. Stop! Shockingly, the confession of Spritzer and the Cocorales brothers were not good enough to have a murder charge put on him. He was sentenced to 120 years for attempted murder and rape. He's eligible for parole in 2022. He will be 89 years old. So you would think that Robin not being charged with murder would be the most unjust part of this whole case, but you would be wrong. Thomas Cocorales was released from jail two weeks ago on March 29th, 2019. What? Lori Borowski's family was irate. All he has to do is register as a sex offender, but other than that, he's got no restrictions. That's messed up. That's great. That's just great. 
And we got a we got a listener, um, Jim Story, said that the guy moved in like right down the street from where he works at. No way. Here's an interesting little tidbit. You're familiar with John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. So John Wayne Gacy was from Chicago, and obviously he was a serial killer, used to dress as a clown, and he killed a numerous amount of young boys and would bury them in their basement. Well, people from the police department stuff in the area, they thought for the longest time that it was really possible that John Wayne Gacy had an accomplice, but they never could really pinpoint anybody. Turns out Robin Geck at one point was an employee of John Wayne Gacy. Wow. So no idea on whether he actually was an accomplice, but it sure is an awful big coincidence. And by the way, Robin Geck, uh, still today in prison, maintains his innocence, says he's never done any of this stuff. And it's obvious he's lying, but he's still in jail and... Just waiting out till 2022 so he can be paroled at 89 years old. So here's the question, I guess. Was he a Satanist? Now, most experts will tell you that he just got off on watching the torture and the sexual fetish part of it. And he used the Satanism as a ploy. Some of the police department up there felt like that uh, the Satanism part really wasn't even a part of the story. He used that to manipulate the other guys. But nobody really knows. Uh, most people just think that, you know, it was all a power thing for him. And that was it. Had nothing to do with Satanism whatsoever. So that's the story of the Chicago Rippers. I really wish I hadn't been in on this story. Because now I'm going to just think about this whole, all night. This is the most horrendous, disrespectful Awful story I've ever heard. I saw um, I saw an interview when we were looking about the, them getting him getting released, and I was saw an interview on the news. I'll try to post that, but it's Lori's mom and her brothers just talking about what a travesty it is that this guy's walking well, around. Of course it is. Well, and, and I don't know all the details. I probably should have looked this up, but they changed some rules and some uh, laws for the prison system in uh, Illinois, and Somehow or another, he fell into the category of somebody that at one time couldn't have been released that now can be released. So it was just a, just a, twi- world, a twist in the judicial system. Yeah. But the the interview I was talking about on the news, her brothers were on there. They were visibly upset. Uh, her mother was on there. Her mother's still alive. Um, but, yeah, it's a travesty. Yeah, it really is. Man, that's that's just terrible. I mean, what do you even say for, about something like that? I don't know. Um, I will say, from a story standpoint, I was fascinated by the story, just from you know mm-hmm. a topic, because I had never heard about this until recently, mm-hmm. and I don't know how something like this has escaped me for all these years. Because I mean, I would. In the 80s, I was 13, 14, 15 years old. This would have been major news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up five hours from Chicago. So the, I know I've had to have seen it on the news or something. Just didn't know the details of it, mm. I guess. Wish I didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's poor women. Oh, trust me. I saved, I saved you guys from some of the details. 
Well, thank I, you, because it's already bad. I saw some pictures, actual crime scene pictures that I didn't post for obvious reasons. Yeah, please don't. And it's just, uh, it was horrible, so. God bless those women. I feel so bad. Yep. Makes me want to cry. I know it does. Well, let's talk about something happy then. Please. Let's talk about last week's show. At the uh, First of all, let me do this. Um because I promised someone I would do this. Okay. Last week's actual show, we were talking about past lives. And I brought up the point that um, Catholic faith believes if you commit suicide, you automatically go to hell. Mm-hmm. And I grew up Catholic. That's a much better, happier subject. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up Catholic. Uh, went to Catholic school uh, most of my entire life. Or not my whole life, but just the time mm-hmm. where I was supposed to be in school. And, you know, we went to Mass once a week, went to Mass every Sunday, and that's what was drilled into our head. Now, back in 92 or so, the Pope came out, changed a little bit of what the philosophy should be. And from that point on, started saying, when you commit suicide, it's not a definite to the Catholic religion that you're going to hell that you're probably not in the right state of mind to do something like that, and that would not be held against you. Um, so they have changed the outlook, But uh, and I had a young lady that write us to say, hey, this is her religion. She didn't want us just putting that out there, that that's the way it is, when it it's that's not what the, the faith is these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I told her, look, you know, I apologize. I looked into it, verified it, um, but the reality of it is, like I told her, when something's drilled in your head for 40 years, it's kind of hard to just to change it because that's what I was always taught growing up. Yeah. And that was the way it was. And they did make some changes. And I'm glad they did make some changes. Mm-hmm. And, but unfortunately, not everybody knew that the changes had been made. Yeah. So it's uh, the way that it was. But I did want to point out to her, or I told her I would point out on the show that that had been changed. So that's not the true belief of Catholics these days that you automatically go to hell should you take your own life. So... I I promised her I would point that out this week. The Louisville show last week, the live event in Waverly Hills was awesome. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. We um, got to meet, again, some wonderful people that we hadn't met in person before. I know, how exciting was that? Louisville obviously is is where we've lived before we moved here, so we get to see a lot of people that we don't get to see on a normal basis. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. my kids, made two of the three kids made it to the first time they've seen us live. So that was cool. We got to see Doug and uh, Margaret. We hadn't seen them for a while. So mm-hmm. it was really cool. It was a, a blast to do it. Uh, the Brohio guys brought the house down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we drink and we know things for their first live event were fantastic. I know they were excited about it. And, of course, can't get off here without talking what a fantastic job that Bishop James Long did. Yeah, he is so fascinating. I could have listened to him all day long. And that was the sentiment. Everybody yeah. said, hey, I could have listened to him. And we actually recorded that. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll throw that on the Patreon uh, in the next week or so. Okay. We'll throw it on Patreon for you guys to hear his demonstration. But, man, there's a cemetery um, just south of Louisville. He was adamant about do not 
go there. Mm-hmm. And he had a fascinating story mm-hmm. about there. He said that, you know, he's not scared of stuff because he sees so much stuff, but this was something he had never encountered before. And, uh, it was fascinating, mm-hmm. fascinating. And this wasn't something he just talked about. It was something that somebody asked a question that brought yeah. it up. So that he wasn't even prepared to talk about that. Right. That was what was cool was the question and answer session on that is because he had so many cool, um, so many cool questions that were brought up that, you know, he had, he had the answers to, and it was like, oh man, I was wondering that too. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool, but, uh, it was, it was a blast. And then we went to Waverly and of course at Waverly, it never disappoints. No. So we had, uh, we went up and saw more shadow people. And of course, when you see it, everybody else is seeing it. So a group of 25 people all seeing it, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I love it. We've been on three tours. We've had three different tour guides. Yeah, we have actually. It's and funny. Each one is completely different depending mm-hmm. on the tour guide. So I know last year we went into some rooms that we didn't go into this year. And uh, I got to go to room 502 and spend about five minutes entirely by myself yep. while the rest of the group was out in the hallway. How cool was that? That yeah, was cool. I kept looking for you, hoping you'd come back. Hope you didn't have some creature on your back. No, no, no creature. No, that was a good thing. <laughs> Ain't room in the car for another creature. But yeah, great little gargoyle or something. <laughs> but it was it was a blast. Um, I do want to point out though, while we're on the subject of shows, the Indianapolis show. We've got two shows in Indy this year. We mm-hmm. got one coming up on uh, June twenty second, I believe. It's week before Tracy's birthday, mm-hmm. and the n- next one is going to be in September. Now, that is important because <laughs> the June 22nd show is the next show that we have that's not sold out already. Of course, Houston and Bobby Mackis is already sold out. They're there before that. But this show, we had a, uh, a listener write us a letter the other day, and it said that the location where we were having this, Scotty's Brew House in Indianapolis, abruptly closed down that morning. Mm-hmm. So that left us scrambling to find a new place, but we did. We found a place called Gina's Grill. It's inside the Moose Lodge up there, and you don't have to be a member of the Moose Lodge or anything. She wanted to make sure I told people that because I don't think you got to be a member. You don't have to be a member of the Moose Lodge or anything, and it's not a smoking facility because a lot of those lodges Mm -hmm. are, and people are like, oh, I don't want to go in there, but it's not a smoking facility. But So they got awesome food up there is what she's telling me, but they also had these large rooms that we could use. So the, the room we got has over a hundred seats where we were at Scotty's only had 60 seats. Mm-hmm. So that's going to open it up for a lot more people to come. So oh, cool. That's where Shane and I will, uh, will be doing our show. So we've got that show June 22nd. That's mysterious circumstances. Justin Rimmel. You got Nick and Rob from Brohio. You've got us and we got a special guest that we just found out about Miss Natasha Anchor. Formerly Natasha Ali, the head of our group, and Amber from Hillbilly Horror House will be there as well because she's coming to America and she wanted to make that show. Isn't that the craziest thing? So how cool is that? Very cool. We can't wait to meet you, honey. All the way from Australia. That's impressive. I know. I got to do my good day, mate. How was please, that? Please don't. Was that, a, that was good. That actually was okay. I, oh, I can't yay. Right. Thanks. I hope she brings a kangaroo with her. I don't think she will. <laughs> Uh, unless she can say it's a support animal to oh, get it on the plane. Oh Maybe my she can God. do a wallaby. They're smaller. That is so funny. A support animal. <laughs> <laughs> mm, we're excited about that. So, yeah. so it's going to be what fun. So she'll, she'll be at the show. Mm-hmm. And then Shane from um, Out of the Shadows podcast is going to be with us. 
And we were funny because we're, we're going to do the, the show in September there. And it's just going to be our two shows. But we decided since it's only two shows and Shane and I, I both have past comedy lives. We're going to both do a little stand-up comedy that night as well as our shows. So it's the first time I've done stand-up in oh, wow. a while. Oh, yeah. And uh, But we decided that we would go ahead and do about 10 or 15 minutes each and just have some fun with it. Started mm-hmm. off as a joke, and then we just decided to do it. Mm-hmm. But that's it pretty much for the show yeah. wise. I just wanted to Very make sure exciting. everybody knew about the Indianapolis. So if you bought tickets to Indianapolis already, it, it's going to be at a different venue, so don't worry about what's on your tickets. Yeah. We had to scramble when we did that for Louisville already, but mm-hmm. this one was a little bit sooner. So, mm-hmm. Well, we have a bunch of iTunes reviews this week, Tracy. We do. We had a boatload of them. Uh, we had Jaded Little Mama 777, Goddess 24, Fury O'Hulahan. Oh, you know what? Oh, that gets furry, not fury. Well, I say fury. It's probably fur. furry. It is. Sorry, furry. <laughs> Sriracha, Liz C127, Burlington Stevo, Tay Hamilton, Housewife 124, Black and Gold 58, Jen Michael, TJ Salas, Bonita, Big Eddie Koo, <laughs> and A Paranormal Chicks. Thank you guys for your review. They were amazing. A Paranormal Chicks is a podcast also. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty funny, so check them out. Yeah, check them out. Um, Patreon, we had a few of those this week. Shay Wilson, Jonathan Ellinger, Michelle Gibson, Tanya Downing, Tammy Wilson, Ronald Byers, and Kara Graham. Thank you, guys. You are amazing. We love all of you. A couple of quick things on those. Um Tanya Downing's having a really rough week keeping her thoughts and prayers. And uh, Kara Grimm, she had a cat in a contest, and she was trying to win, and uh, it was last week. So we put it up on the website, and she was the, the cat was down pretty significantly. We put it up on the website, and then the cat ended up winning in a runaway. Shut up. So... She, oh my god! She, she wants to make sure you guys get a big thank you Aww. for anybody who voted on. The well, cat. that's awesome. Yeah, it went from being like forty-seven to fifty-seven or something like I can't remember. That's probably mm-hmm. not probably forty-seven to fifty-three, mm-hmm. and it flipped by the next morning. It was like they won fifty-three to forty-seven. Oh, so very cool! Awesome. Very cool. Guys, thank you guys so much. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut y'all, but no, sure I just want to say thank you all again <laughs> for your reviews. They were wonderful, and uh, your Patreon support. We appreciate you all so much. We just want y'all to know that because it means a lot to us it does thank it you do guys. and guess what next week is what? Easter? happy easter bok bok i knew you were gonna do that i ate a peep one time what happened nothing i threw up because it's marshmallow and i can't stand marshmallow oh, then why'd you eat it because i didn't realize it i was little <laughs> i was little how do you remember that from when you were little well something like that scars your life oh my gosh First, I thought I was just eating a bird, and I was okay with that. I'd eaten chicken several times. <laughs> what is wrong with but you? But marshmallow. Oh, uh, I love marshmallows. That's, I know. That's mm, disgusting. So good. Hey, let's go grill some. Got any? Probably not. Oh. So, hey, before we get out of here, though, we got another creepy crate the other day. We and did. It had a cool necklace in it. It had a uh, it had an ink pen in there that had like a broom, mm-hmm. like the old fashion broom mm-hmm. on top of it so it's like a thing of sage yep and then it had a what it had a t-shirt, t-shirt it had a book, book uh, a necklace the necklace it had the the necklace was cool because it had like the pentagram and a little raven on it and then it had the little spell book thing that you kept it's awesome mm-hmm. but 
those things are so cool and you can get a discount if you go this is through the lineup they're the ones that, that featured our article so if you go to creepy crate or just google creepy crate put in the discount of hillbilly h-i-l-l-b-i-l-l-y and you'll get five bucks off your first order yep so check it out they, they can deliver it every month you can stop whenever you want to but uh, every month they just send it to you and they yeah, get a bunch of cool fun. stuff so anyway we love you guys love you guys you next week have a good week guys